It's good to be a guy who serves as a man. Thanks, Crystal. How are you guys doing? It's a, uh, you can feel summer setting in, in in so many different ways, hey? But we are here and we have God's word with us and we are going to launch into it. We're actually launching into a new series starting today that we're going to be traveling through for the entire summer. And that's uh, called Joy, and it's going to have us walking through the entire book of Philippians. And I don't know about you, but I I love this book. uh, I'm very, very excited about this letter written 2,000 years ago by a dude in prison. He has been such, or his letter has been such an encouragement to me uh, over the years or since becoming a believer, so much so that I've I've put some chunks of it as uh, committed it to memory. And I try to draw on it whenever I'm, I'm experiencing low points because Paul has some just incredibly encouraging words to, to say. So I, I want to encourage you to please turn to the book of Philippians now. Uh, we're going to have the, the text up there. But we're going to be looking at just the first 11 verses as we open this series. It'll be on the screen. I'll be reading it. There's Bibles out in the front. Feel free to grab your tablets, phones, what have you. These first 11 verses, this, this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is very, very rich. There's a lot of depth to it. And one of the things that I love about it is that it is so practical. So practical. Paul, as he's writing, uh, lays out a bit of a blueprint as to what life should look like or every day should look like for believers, for Christians. And you know what? Even if someone that you know doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't consider themselves a follower of Jesus, by reading this, they can actually apply some of what we're going to be learning today or thinking about today to their life to make their life better and to make them better at life. Just as as Jesus wants to make our life better and make us better at life. And that, that doesn't mean getting more stuff. That doesn't mean becoming more powerful or more influential. It just, it has everything to do with providing us with and pointing us towards having a proper perspective on life. And then the activity that follows, once we gain this perspective, it can actually begin to help a person grow. Particularly if they, if they are a follower of Jesus, because then you have that spirit-aided help. But nevertheless, we know that personal growth is aided by the activity that we put into it or how much effort we put into it, that helps it. If, if anybody here has ever seen a counselor or a psychologist, you know that they're going to give you homework, that it's not, there's, there's no magic pill, there's no sort of passive treatment, electroshock or something like that that's just going to snap you out of whatever is, is going on in your head. Like there, there has to be some engagement. Yes, some of these tools can aid that help, but it's not going to get you to the finish line without some sort of active participation on your part. This is also true with personal fitness. Personal fitness, like losing weight, just doesn't happen magically. Who, who knows that that is true? Wish it was. I mean, the other way, gaining weight, woohoo, that's easy, right? I find that no problem at all. Sure, I'll have more fries with that, right? Hey, yeah, more ice cream, bring it on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to gain weight, to, to lose health, But to take the weight down, that takes work. That takes activity. 
And yes, this works the same way for our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives. If we want more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if we want more of those things in our life, yes, first, we need to turn away from our old lives, turn towards Christ, put our faith in God and trust in him for life. That's the the first thing. So we receive the, the Holy Spirit, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. But you'll, you'll notice if you've been a Christian for any time, any length of time, I noticed quite quickly that the love, joy, peace, all that stuff didn't just get imputed on me where I'm just always loving, always joyful, always have self-control. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is the people that walk by the Spirit or walk with the Spirit, they're the ones that exhibit these fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, and this is going to be our big idea that I, I want us to put in our back pockets, and that's spiritual maturity grows through spiritual activity. Say that again. Spiritual maturity grows through spiritual activity. I'll put it another way. Our spiritual maturity is going to go through our spiritual activity. See, Paul knew that, and that's why we're going to read a lot of what we're going to read. What we put in, of course, God is the one, and this is going to be clear in, in, as we go through the text, God is the one who actually does the work, but it's in tandem, it's in participation with us. So we're going to dive into the text, and I'm, I'm going to explain the opening of the letter in a way that will hopefully give us a, an understanding of context for the weeks and months that are going to follow but then also as far as the implications for this specific part of it, okay? So verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as with any greeting of any letter that you go with uh, or that you start to read, it sets the stage. It's gonna set the tone for the rest of the letter. So Paul opens this letter by identifying himself and the person that he's with. And this this is his friend, his mentee, Timothy, a man he's been pouring into for for a long time. And the ESV, this is what we typically read from here, it identifies or they identify themselves as servants. If you care, the Greek word here is doulos. And the idea behind what they're talking about here is probably a little bit stronger than or is, sorry, is a little bit stronger than the word servant, what they, how we would look at a servant. The idea that I picture when I do this, and I think the idea that we all want to have in our mind, is, is slave. They're identifying themselves as slaves of Christ. They think that Jesus, being the Lord of their life, they've bound their lives to him, and they're working to give them their all. So I, by identifying themselves as slaves to Jesus, they're not saying that they are ministry volunteers, Right? Like when we do something in church, often we consider ourselves a ministry volunteer, and, and that's fine to a certain degree. But I, I really want to encourage us, and I know that the people that serve here don't consider themselves mere ministry volunteers because I see the effort that gets put in. We don't think of ourselves as just showing up, we think of ourselves as, as doing something for the Lord. And so this is what Timothy and Paul, or Paul particularly, as he uh, dictates this, is trying to get at. They are in bondage to Christ who owns the title deed to their life. So this means everything that they do revolves around the church and the spreading of the gospel. So he's writing to this church. It's located in the city of Philippi. Philippi, 
going to give you a quick history lesson, named after Philip of Macedon. Whose dad was he? Whose daddy was Philip of Macedon? Anyone remember? This isn't church history. This is just world history. Alexander the Great. That is correct, sir. I don't have a prize, but air high five. There we go. Woohoo! So he's Alexander the Great's dad. And for those of you who know Alexander the Great, he conquered the Western world at one point, was trying to what's known as Hellenize it, basically make it all Greek. But then he got beat down and the Romans eventually, after kind of a couple of interim place or uh, place sitters, Romans took over and they've been growing ever since up until this point. It's still Philippi. It's located in Greece, but it is a Roman city. And it's known for being a retirement city of sorts for the Roman legionnaires. So they would finish up their their duties and then they would often go off and retire in Philippi. So very, very Roman. If you read Acts 16, we alluded to this uh, last week, I think. Um, You're going to learn about Paul and his journey there and the, the church that he started. So the Philippian church as it grew over a number of years, became known for its generosity, for its activity, for the great things that it was doing. But it was also dealing with some disunity. Some things were going on. There was some opposition that was brewing because in the religious sort of powers that be, people were vying for power, these sorts of things. And we're going to be discussing them as the the weeks go on. But there's little infighting that was beginning to start and threaten the the unity of the church in Philippi. So these sorts of things are happening in amongst all of these incredible works of generosity that they're doing. So Paul's writing to, and he addresses to to the saints. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan from Promontory Campus was here, and he taught us about who the saints are. Who's the saints? Exactly. Dude, you're getting all the air high fives. We are the saints. Anybody who considers themselves a follower of Jesus is a saint. And I know some of you are thinking like I am. I ain't no saint. But it's, it's true. It's, this is just the way it, the way it goes. We're all, we're all saints, but we're all sinners as well. So we need to make sure we're sticking with Jesus. So if you consider yourself a believer or a Christian, you are a saint. If you follow Jesus, you're a saint. And he also includes, he addresses the letter to the saints, but he also makes sure he throws in the deacons, the overseers. He wants to let them know that the church leadership is put in there. Finally, he offers them a well wish and he says grace and peace from the Father and the Son. We, with these introductions, we tend to typically gloss over them like genealogies. When we're reading through the Bible, we can't miss this. This is so important. For this church, the Philippian church, this peace that he's offering them stands in stark contrast to the peace that was being offered to this community from the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor and his uh, imperial propaganda machine was trying to sell this idea that the emperor would provide them with peace and everything that they would need to thrive in life. That he was a a god in and of himself, small g for, for us. But the peace that the emperor would bring was built on the backs of conquered people. On the deaths of people. The peace that was built by Jesus was on his own sacrificial death. His own sacrificial death. That peace, that true peace that is brought by Jesus, it brings reconciliation to God and to one another, something that no Roman emperor could ever bring. So in other words, the grace that he's he's, uh, wishing upon them or blessing them with is the source of the Christian life, whereas the peace then is the result of that grace. And so Paul puts that on display with his next words. Verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first thing I notice when I read this is, is Paul's use of words. Like he, he uses the word my, my God. And this is, this is a, a very intimate, a very relational way of describing his, his relationship with God. He's not talking about polytheism where, you know, he's saying my God is wishing this while your God is that and, and so on and so forth. He's saying, no, 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 I have a relationship with God and I talk to my God. You can talk to him as well. He talks to him about a lot of things, but in this particular instance, he mentions the Philippians. And, and this shows us, it teaches us just how important prayer was to Paul and his ministry. It knit this community or the relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church. It knit it together and showed how dependent he was on, or they were on his prayers for them, as well as, if we were going to go to it, you'll get there, I think, next week, into verse 19, or we'll get there next week. Uh, Paul talks about he covets their prayers for him as well. He understands that the basis for their life, their relationship, is on God and to talking to him is important. So the first thing I notice is, is the words he's using. The next thing I notice is his attitude. This dude is in prison. Again, right? He's had a rough go of it regularly since becoming a believer. I mean, the first thing that happened to him when he became a believer is what? He got he got struck blind, right? Like right at that first initial meeting, this guy's had a rough go from day one of, of following after Jesus, yet he has this attitude. Perspective, friends, is, is everything Paul is teaching us. See, I, I need to confess, and I don't know if, it, if this is particular to me, probably, because typically you guys are all pretty upbeat people and, and pretty positive, but I, uh, I get discouraged Quite a bit. Like, I, I, can, I feel anxiety sometimes. I, I get stressed out sometimes. And typically when those sorts of things start to happen, my joy goes with it. Any sort of joy I'm feeling, these, these things I, uh, seem to take it away. Why? Well, because I start to think about things or circumstances as if they are the basis for thankfulness. That my gratitude is, is dependent on circumstances. So if my circumstances go wrong... I go wrong. I go, I go sideways. You know, sometimes I'm tired uh, or I'm hungry. I get the hangries or, or maybe it's, it's rained one too many days in a row or something like that. But then I find when those things happen, my joy is stolen. Well, it's not really stolen though, is it? I, I, I give it away. I tend to give away that joy. Why do I do that? Why do we sometimes give away our joy? Well, it's because we can become a prisoner to our circumstances. We become a prisoner to our circumstances. No matter how much we think we have control over our circumstances, our circumstances control us. Anything, many, many things in life happen that are completely outside of our control. A loved one dies. We lose our job. We lose our home. Someone that's very important to us, a relationship, they walk out of it. These sorts of things can happen. And the only thing that we control in these circumstances is how we handle it, is our response to it. See, uh, according to one commentator, uh, joy is supposed to be a basic and constant orientation of the Christian life. And that is the fruit of a relationship with God and with other Christians. 
So the fruit of those relationships is what is supposed to bring us this joy. And this, is, this idea, this theme is peppered through the New Testament. In fact, Christian experience of joy or the Christian's experience of joy has no link whatsoever to a person's outward circumstances. True deep joy has nothing to do with anything external. And that's why joy typically escapes those who seek after it. It's like trying to be cool. You ever see somebody trying? I've, I've tried it. You're trying to be cool. It's so uncool to try to be cool. Okay, everybody can spot that, see through that right away, right? You chase joy. You chase, try to chase something like coolness or even fun. You're never going to get it, right? It's always the people that try to have other people experience joy, try to work towards their joy. They're the ones that truly experience it on a regular basis. So you, you get by giving it away. This is what's so surprising about joy is that Christians actually experience it in the midst of suffering. If you read through 1 Peter, that's the idea. And it's, it's very paradoxical that we can do that. Because nobody seeks after, unless they're a sadist, nobody experiences or seeks after suffering for suffering's sake. Yet, through suffering, we can actually experience the deepest sense of joy if we're doing it for Christ. So, Christian joy then is rooted in the fact that God exists God loves them, and God wants a relationship with them. That's, that's the, the very root of it. It comes from serving God and being in God's will. And then Christians enjoy life's journey because they journey with and for Jesus in mission. This is the, the beauty of it all. So Paul encourages the Philippians by saying, yes, I'm in jail, but it, but it doesn't matter because I have God. doesn't matter. Because the point is that I have God. Anything could be happening. It could be the worst day ever. The worst day ever with God is better than the best day ever without him. There's a psalm that kind of goes like that, right? Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. They even made a song about it. So this is Paul's attitude. But make no mistake, the Philippian church is still doing something right. They're still doing something that... So Paul's going to be joyful no matter what's happening. But in this situation, he actually has genuine gratitude. So they're doing something right. Why is Paul thanking them? For making him happy? No, it's not. It's because of their partnership, it says, the text says, in the gospel. They're slaves too, is what he's saying. They are slaves to the, the mission as well. So the, the picture I get in my mind is of, of two guys or two girls. Because, you know, we're, we're Mennonites, right? So it can't be a guy... Sh- Shackled to a girl, right? Like they're on either side of the prison, guys on one side and, no, <laughs> girls on the other. But they're shackled together and they're still experiencing, they're cheesing right out. They got the big smiles and whatever they're doing, they're suffering. It's for the Lord and they're okay with it. The Philippian church was started, if you guys remember, I think we talked about this last week, was started when Paul was in jail with Silas. He went there to start the church, ended up in jail. He's in Silas and what are they doing? Singing away, right? Woohoo! It's the best day of our life, and we're chained and eating nothing, right? Because they had the joy of the Lord. That's what the Church of Philippi started on. That was their example. So that you get to see why they were starting to do such great things. The Philippians are giving Paul reason to be grateful by doing what they're supposed to be doing. The other day, Sarah and I were, were driving, and uh, she noticed on a, a, a sign on a lawn, it was a uh, landscaper sign and it said giving you the lawn you deserve and and normally we wouldn't think anything of that except she noticed that the lawn was kind of kind of meh 
right? Like it was a little, it, it didn't look real good, right? And she, she's like, I wonder what they did, right? You know, like is that, if that's the lawn that they deserve, then, oh man, it just, it wasn't a nice looking lawn. See, one thing I've noticed in our culture, though, is that sometimes that we, we think or, or you, you read of people thinking that they should get praised or thanked or, or something like that just, just for showing up. That not really putting in a lot of effort, that, that we should actually get what we don't deserve as far as positive things go. Work ethic, uh, there's a lot of talk about that, seems to be diminishing. Some folks don't appear to care about what sort of effort or product or anything like that that they're putting out. It seems like that's tough, but this is also true. This is, this has affected people inside of the church because of a, a lot of what we do is volunteering. We talked about that ministry volunteering and people will c- come in with a mindset. Oh, well you, you can't fire me so I can just mail it in, right? I can just show up and, and just do whatever. And it doesn't really matter. People think, but, but they still expect to be applauded for just showing up. They think that they should get what they don't deserve. But the, the Philippian church, on the other hand, is doing things that truly make Paul thankful for them. That's why I'm thankful for, for this place and for the people that I work with. Because I don't see anybody mailing it in here. I see people stepping up. And doing hard work. And so I'm grateful for that. And so is Paul. He's giving them what they deserve, the gratitude they deserve. He sees the work Paul is doing in them, through them, amongst them. And he points out the partnership that they're sharing. Their spiritual maturity, in other words, has grown through their spiritual activity. See, the, the same word partnership here is we talked about community a couple of weeks ago when we were going through our values. You guys remember what the Greek word for community was? Koinonia, that's right. Air high five. There we go. Koinonia. And so this is, you see, this is a multifaceted, it's a, it's an accordion kind of word. It's an amazing word. But it, it always, at the root of it, has to deal with a deep sense of communion, relationship, for common good. This is what it has to do with, right? So now, in this case, they're partnering together for the sake of the gospel, the gospel, as he talks about it, it looks like in your partnership in the gospel, how do you partner in, you know, the, the four laws of spirit? You know what I mean? Like, how do you partner in that? What he's getting at is partnering in the spreading of, or the work that goes into the spreading of the gospel. Namely, Philippi, they've been generous in their support with Paul. They talks about that a lot, that they've supported him through his work, his work doing church stuff. They've supported that, as well as for a gift in the church of Jerusalem. If you were around at Central when we went through our, generous, our generosity series uh, a little while back in the spring, we're still in the spring, aren't we? Maybe it was late winter? Anyway. Just not too long ago, we went through the generosity and we went through 2 Corinthians. And in it, Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church to be more like the Philippians. He's like, those Philippians, they've been doing great helping out the church that is in dire need in Jerusalem. Be more like the Philippian church. And this is what he was doing to the, or asking the Corinthian church to do. See, the Philippian church didn't see their faith as something just to be enjoyed, something that was meant to be held onto or grasped that was just for them. They thought of it as something that was supposed to be distributed, something that was supposed to be engaged with and, and passed on. So that means they showed up and they did what needed to be done. So all of this 
lead or has led Paul to believe that the spiritual future of this community is bright. So bright that if he had shades, he would wear them. So bright you've got to wear shades. That wasn't a song. Or no, it's Corey Hart, I wear my sunglasses at night. That's what it that was just popped in my mind. I wear my sun. Yeah. So why was he considering it the future so bright? Well, it's because their spiritual maturity had grown through their spiritual activity. They were on a trajectory. Their spiritual lives were on a trajectory, and it was going up. But it gets better, and this is, I love this verse. It's one of my favorites in the, in the whole Bible. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Love this verse. Right from uh, very early on in my faith journey, I clung to this verse as I looked at my own gong showness that I was trying to shed after coming off the street and all that stuff. And I clung to this promise that God wanted to continue to work into people. See, this is a promise made by Paul to this Philippian church regarding God's faithfulness. But it also has to do or it has great implications for anybody who believes and follows God with their lives. But it's not about salvation. This isn't about salvation. Thank God. This is about being able to get better and to iron out some of the wrinkles that we can see in our own souls. So specifically, what I'm talking about, or what he's talking about, is the good work, is referring to, in this context, the work that is going on behind their generosity, So them just being able to give the gifts to Jerusalem and to Paul and all that stuff, that's good stuff, right? But there's something something driving that, right? Because in in a way, anybody can, can just give out gifts, but it's not always, they don't always share the same driving force. And that's namely, it's the maturity that they had attained to, their spiritual maturity, as well as their obedience to the calling of God on their lives, This is what is driving it. God has been raising them up, empowering them, and they've gone to the point where they had discerned needs and then mobilized to meet them consistently out of a love, deep love for God and for the other people. So here's the the big fancy theological term for today that we want to talk about or that I'm going to mention and then most of us will forget. It's, uh, it's sanctification. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. Sanctification is the process by which God makes us holy. He works in us and works us towards being able to be uh, more righteous. It's, it's, it's a, the transforming work does after he brings us into relationship with him. So since God began this work of, of Christian growth... Evidenced by their giving, right? So that's the evidence of it in this sense. He would complete that growth. We see evidence in in many parts of their lives. And the fact that it's the God of the universe that is making this promise should make them super duper happy. See, because when the end goal is to be more like God, you want to have God being the one that is producing the growth within you. It just, it makes good sense uh, to work towards that. See, I I want you to to imagine with me for a moment that plants can talk. Plants could talk. What what do you think plants would say if they could talk, right? And I know some of you are laughing because it's like, plants don't like me, right? Or no way. See, I wish I honestly, I wish Isaac was was in here more often because him and I we same page often, right? We can we can get down with each other with this. But okay, so imagine plants can talk. 
What do you think that they would say regarding the people that are, are, are producing growth in them? See, I, I think it would depend on the person, right? Because there's, there's certain people that I'm sure plants would be like, I don't want. It wouldn't be good news for them to hear that the person who has been trying to produce growth in them is going to be the one that's going to be continuing to do it, right? Because the end of that road is, is kind of bleak for, for some of us, right? With the black thumb. Other people, though, with the, with the actual, with the green thumb, the plants would be like, woohoo! The other day I was in a, an insurance office and I was talking to the girl and she's behind her desk and I look over and she's got this tree in this kind of wicker planter thing with this really a tiny little watering can it looked it was just I don't know it just I've never seen anything like that before it was really I felt like a giant and uh so it's this big tree or little tree sitting in there and I, I just said nice tree and she goes oh funny story I rescued that tree from a coworker, and I'm like what are you talking about and she's like well it used to be in a different coworker's office and she took really good care of it but then she retired and went off and then uh this other guy took it and he didn't take very good care of it at all. In fact, it was dying. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty intense. What did you do? And she's like, well, in the middle of the night, I took a crack group of troops and we came in through a skylight and we did this like insurrection. We, just kidding. No, she didn't. She goes, no, actually, in fact, what I did is I just walked into his office. I kind of like kicked open his door and I grabbed the tree and he's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm taking this tree. You're killing it. And I walked out and I was like, that was pretty intense. You, you, you really care about that tree, hey? And she's like, it's a beautiful tree. And I'm like, it is. So anyway, so if that tree, that plant could talk, be pretty excited about who now has it. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> who leads us in growth, in maturity, it matters, right? Who, because... If it particularly helps if they love us and they want the best for us, if they're passionate about that. And we know that God so loved the world that what? Gave his only son. Gave his only son. Dude. Right? Everybody gets an air five. He gave his only son. He loves us. And that's the reason that God wants to keep working on us. He's faithful. He wants us to succeed. See, Paul even mentions at the end of this verse, the day of Christ. The, and what he means by that is, is when Christ comes back and inaugurates the end times. So we need to know that the, the hard work that's going on right now, when we talk about spreading the gospel and, and working hard, sweat of our brow and all that stuff, one day you know that's going to end, right? Like when, I, we don't talk about that, I don't think ever, but when, when Jesus comes back, like a lot of the, the tough aspects, the suffering and whatever that goes into the spreading of the gospel, that's one of the reasons why there's going to be kind of no more suffering, right? There's no more persecution because there's, we're not going to have to spread the gospel anymore. It's going to be known unequivocal, unequivocally across the board. We're going to all just sort of punch that clock and, and move on. So Paul wants to keep that reward. He wants to keep that end in sight. He's trying to encourage them forward to that. And that's why he's going to mention it from time to time. There's a reason why God, God wants to keep working on us. Because what we do in life, it echoes in eternity. And for those of you who like that quote and think that maybe I did that, that's not me. That's just gladiator. But I love it. Paul continues, verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, Paul loves these people. He truly loves these people. He considers them his teammates. And we talked about this. This is, this is them participating in him or with him in these things. They're a community. And there's more. In verse 8, he actually calls God to the stand as an assurance of his sincerity. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So this is a Christian man talking about his Christian love. The love that knows no sacrifice is too big. This love that loves people just as they are, but too much to leave them that way. And so that's why he starts off verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound, what? The same, the same, the same, and the same? No, it's, he, he wants the love of the church to abound more and more, to continue to grow. See, the Philippian church was, as far as New Testament churches go, it was the best. It was the best, huh? right? Is this, this was like an awesome church. And Paul was lifting them up and encouraging them, thanking them, pointing them out, being like, be more like these guys. But he's still saying, guys, there's, there's still more. Like the, you got disunity, fraying at the sides. There's still more work to do, both in the community and in their personal lives. So beginning of verse 9 again, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, friends, when I, when I pray for you, this is what I pray for you. This is, this is what I pray for us as a community, as we seek to develop stronger bonds of community with one another and with those around us. This is the prayer. Paul's prayer for them to this Philippian church is to not give up. He's like their counselor, urging them to fight through the pain and to work towards healing. He's like the, the dietitian or the, the trainer, urging them towards uh, better nutritious health choices and exercise. But most importantly, he is their spiritual father, urging them towards remaining united in love for God and one another, that through that they might be able to grow and to mature into men and women who love each other, love one another like God has loved them, who seek to spread the love of the gospel and to those or to those who need it. He's encouraging them to continue to work on their spiritual maturity because, uh, to, to continue their spiritual activity because through that, will grow more spiritual maturity. I want to transition now just to a time of celebration. Because we, uh, here at Central, we are very, very grateful for, for our volunteers here, for people that have taken the time out of their lives to, and set that time aside to serve God and to serve the community. Uh, in Chilliwack campus last week, uh, we and through the campuses, we were celebrating uh, and talking about Pentecost. And Pentecost was when the Spirit came and fell upon people and, and people received the gifts of the Spirit or gifts of the Godhead. And so this week, we wanted to point out those who serve in the church and to, to give our heartfelt thanks. I know for myself, when we first came here, Sarah and I, and I, I had no idea what things were going to look like 
when we, when we came out. We knew that there was a core of people that uh, had faithfully been serving in this area for a long time, and so we knew we were going to be serving alongside them. But we also knew that the idea, the vision, was to be able to build another team, uh, build a, a team to augment and to, to build upon what was already happening. And so we had no idea who that team was going to be. And so we were praying and praying, and as people started to show interest and, and to, you know, sign on the dotted line, as it were, we got more and more excited because we were really seeing the spirit move and, and seeing people uh, who were already serving in their, in their contacts and, and doing things and seeing what God was already doing through them. And so we were uh, just so excited to be able to be a part of that and to be able to engage in community here uh, at Central Lake Arrow campus. And so as we've launched, uh, we've seen that... Uh, it, it, takes, it truly takes a village to raise what is a bit of a, a child. As our campus is still in its fledgling uh, state, we are trying to, each week, uh, people are diving in and, and being flexible and, and all of that. So I wanted to just point out uh, and just say, like, if you, if you volunteer week to week, we've asked, I don't cross the thing, just to please stand. And uh, here at Central Chilliwack, or sorry, Lake Arrow campus, if you're a volunteer here, please, uh, I'd like you to stand. I know it's weird because there's like eight, 15 of us, but and I just I, I want to honor you and just say thank you for for the work that you do here. It is a blessing to us, and we are just so thankful for you and for the work that you put in here. You make it go. You make this place go. God provides through His Spirit gifts in you. And because of that, ministry gets done. And so I uh, wanted to say that today for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to close us with a time of prayer. And then we're going to sing another song with Nate Dog. Nate Dog. Yeah, there we go. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you. We are so grateful for your church and for uh, Paul and Timothy, and their hearts. We're grateful for this letter to the Philippian church. We're grateful for the Philippian church. We're grateful for this church, Lord, Lake Arrow campus of Central Community Church, and we're so thankful for her volunteers and for people who come each week and to lift your name high. And Lord, we need you. We want to be lights that just shine your name. So help it be less about us, more about you and all that we do. Help us take this love and grace that you have just lavishly poured on us and help us be just ridiculous with it, just passing it out like crazy. Lord, we want people to see you in our lives. So we're dependent on you, right? We take that verse six serious. Lord, we know that it's gonna take your work, your promise, your faithfulness, to finish this work that you've started in us as we're trying to grow in maturity and to try to be obedient to your call in our lives. And that call is to show other people the gospel, to show people that you're there, that you love them, that you want the best for us, and that's you. So Lord, as we do that, help us be better at it. Help us, help us be loving at it. We ask this all in your name, your precious name. Amen.